Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Hi, everybody. Before we start today's episode, I want to let you know that because we are talking about Dobby, we also end up talking about self-harm. If that feels like something that you would like to skip, we understand and we'll talk to you next week. Chapter 2, Dobby's Warning Harry managed not to shout out, but it was a close thing. The little creature on the bed had large, bat-like ears and bulging green eyes the size of tennis balls. Harry knew instantly that this was what had been watching him out of the garden hedge that morning. I'm Matt Potts. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm John Green. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. We are lucky enough to be joined again by our friend John Green. John, the writer of the beautiful book, The Anthropocene Reviewed, and host of Dear Hank and John. And John, you are going to tell us a story on the theme of health today. Yeah, as I was reading this chapter, I was thinking back to 2019 when my wife Sarah and I visited Sierra Leone to see some of the challenges of building a stronger healthcare system there. And we spent a day with a community health worker named Ruth. And Ruth's job is to go around in her community and visit on an almost daily basis with the most vulnerable people in her neighborhood. Many of them are living with HIV or are in treatment for tuberculosis or both. And many of them live in absolute poverty. And when I started out 
thinking about philanthropy, I very much thought of it as a one-way street of people with resources redistributing those resources to people without resources. And one of the things I learned from Ruth is that actually it's much more of an exchange if it's working properly, an exchange of expertises, an exchange of experiences. Ruth's model for delivering healthcare has a lot to teach us, I think, in the United States because she's patient. She has time for the people she works with. She listens very carefully and she approaches care from that perspective, really at a very human level. And one of the women we visited with who was living with HIV, Ruth was asking her about whether she'd been able to take her medication over the last couple of days. And the woman said that she'd taken it the day before, but she hadn't been able to take it on this day because she had no food. It's very difficult to take some of these antiretroviral medications without food, you can get quite sick. And Ruth had a, a kind of expertise that certainly I don't have, and I think a lot of healthcare providers in the U.S. wouldn't have, which was to say, you know, if you put a little bit of sugar in your water and then you take the pill with that, it can be easier. Because this is something that Ruth's had experience with. She also has HIV. And as we were leaving, she slipped the woman the equivalent of two U.S. dollars. And when we got back home, Sarah and I kept thinking about that moment because I realized from spending that day with Ruth that we are choosing this world. We are choosing the world in which we live. Because if everybody took the same percentage of their wealth and, and gave it to people in need, we wouldn't have most of the problems that we have with inequality, with people not being able to access basic healthcare and educational opportunities. And it was a real wake-up call for me. As I was reading this chapter, I kept coming back to an, another lesson that I feel like I learned from Ruth, which is that when you make yourself proximal to suffering, when you make yourself close to suffering, at least for me, I want to do something about it. And when I can insulate myself from suffering, when I can say that those people who are suffering aren't like me, then I won't do anything. And I think in this chapter, you see the cost of not listening to other people about their health needs. So I kept thinking about Ruth and about the importance of listening. Right. The Dursleys lock Harry up to not have to see his suffering. But at the same time, Harry is acutely trying his best at the age of 12 to listen to Dobby, to try to understand his suffering. Yeah. John, the other thing that your story really signaled to me is just this relationship between individual health and social health. The way you described your time with Ruth on the one hand, this person that you were visiting, that Ruth was visiting, had HIV and had an individual malady, right? But that individual malady exists within the context of social maladies that perpetuate her condition. And that makes me think about like what's going on between Dobby and Harry as well, right? Like Dobby wants to save Harry, right? He's worried about Harry's individual wellness. He does not want Harry to be at risk. But Harry's individual wellness is at risk. It is at stake, but it's also the sign of the condition of the symptom of a broader ill, which is actually festering within the wizard world, right? And so once again, like you can see how social health and individual health are, are really tied to each other and you actually can't address one without the other. Yeah, it, that reminds me of this great line from Eula Biss's book on immunity, that immunity is a public space. It's something that we have to share in order to have it. And 
That's also true of health. In the same way that Dobby wants to save Harry by somehow isolating him from the rest of his community, I think a lot of times like we want to be able to carve off systemic problems and say, well, this is separate from healthcare delivery, but none of it's separate. Like healthcare access is ultimately on every level, a justice problem. Yes, we live in a world of limited resources. Yes, there's a lot we don't know about how to deliver healthcare, but almost everyone who dies and almost everyone who is who is suffering from healthcare maladies is on some level suffering from a justice problem, like a problem that we do know how to address. Yeah. Okay, Matt, you are going first in the 30-second recap. Are you ready? Yes. No. Great. <laughs> On your mark. Get set. Go. Okay, so Harry walks into his bedroom. We already knew that. And Dobby is there. And we learn, Harry learns about, about house elves. And Dobby says, you can't go back to Hogwarts. And he says, what are you talking about? And Dobby starts making a big racket. And the Masons have arrived. And and uh, Vernon comes up. And he's very mad about ruining a, a racist joke. And then uh, and then the letters. Dobby has the letters. And Harry's like, give me those letters. And Dobby's like, yeah, not until you promise. And then Dobby runs downstairs. And he throws the dessert onto the floor. And the, the, the Harry starts sweeping up. And then an owl comes in and drops a letter on Mrs. Mason's head. And... And Vernon learns. I have to stop. Sorry. I could I couldn't tell you what Vernon learns because I had to stop. <laughs> John, maybe you can tell us what Vernon learns or doesn't learn. On your mark. Get set. Go. The critical thing about this chapter is that the pudding, the poor pudding that uh, <laughs> Aunt Petunia worked so flipping hard on gets completely ruined by by Dobby in, in a in an ill-advised attempt to keep Harry from going to Hogwarts. There's bars put on the walls uh, to or, or on the window to try to keep Harry from from leaving. And and Uncle Vernon has found out that Harry can't do magic. So now Uncle Vernon has like total control over Harry. So he thinks. But then uh, at last, who should be the hero of the day? But Ron Weasley, who shows up at Harry's window and uh, takes him off on. Uh, well, we, we aren't there yet. <laughs> You talk. You mentioned Ron after thirty seconds, John. I, that's <sighs> it was great until then. It was perfect teamwork. Yeah, because you were covering everything. Right. I, missed, I mean, but... I, it was really more of a one minute recap since I covered absolutely <laughs> nothing from the first half of the chapter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Vanessa, on your mark, get set, go. I think that the thing that neither of you mentioned is that Harry only gets to pee twice a day once he is locked <laughs> in this room. Hedwig isn't eating enough. Harry is so hungry if he stays in this room he is just going to perish of nothing but two bathroom breaks a day is just completely insufficient i also see very little evidence that this is a pudding it sounds like it's just whipped cream with violets on top and i'm like it's totally fine that that crashes to the floor ice cream sounds much better i was that's i was gonna make the same comment about the pudding because uh first of all i'm not sure what sugared violets are yeah (laughs) so or if they're made at home uh but if so maybe that's very hard and complicated but i'm thinking they're small and dainty and like mostly this is just whipped cream and so have ice cream i'm vastly more sympathetic to aunt petunia i have to say (laughs) i like maybe it's my urge to have only one villain like one true villain but for me like uncle vernon is so clearly the one true villain and 
Yeah. Aunt Petunia is like trying to do her best in an extremely bad situation. And I don't, I actually don't believe that about Uncle Vernon. Like I think almost everyone is trying to do their best almost all of the time, but I don't, I don't think Uncle Vernon is. That's a great transition to my defense of Dobby, I think. As I said before, I think Dobby is misreading the relationship between individual health and social health. But that, as your story tells us, John, is a problem that all of us make a lot of the time, yeah. right? The thing I want to respond to was just like, just be quiet, just be quiet, right? Like Harry's asking me quiet. What he wants to happen is exactly what happens, which is that Vernon locks Harry in his room so he cannot escape and cannot go back to Hogwarts. Dobby's plan works, except Ron shows up, right? What Dobby wants is for it to become impossible for Harry to get back to Hogwarts. And he does that through being noisy, through destroying the pudding. Right, So, of course, he's not listening to Harry when Harry says, please be quiet. He wants Vernon to find out. He wants the Dursleys to lock him in his room. He wants Harry to be trapped. That's a good point. And in a world of extremely limited choices, he is working with what he has to get what he thinks is the most important goal which is merely to have Harry survive. And maybe Dobby's kind of real politic approach to this is things can't get systemically better. And so let's try to make things better for individuals. Yeah. But Harry would die under these conditions that yeah. the Dursleys have put him in. True. Which like gets to be a genre question again about like the extent to which this abuse is supposed to be hyperbolic so that the Sweezley escape is just so cathartic and wonderful. But a can of soup a day and bathroom breaks twice a day, like that's a kidney infection waiting to happen. That is all systems failed. I just did a little bit of research about like the health effects of being locked up and right like it, it's just not surprising. It's exactly what you would guess. Individuals who've been incarcerated yeah. have higher rates of morbidity and mortality than the general population, right? And across all sorts of metrics, including like hypertension. And I know, Matt, that you you don't literally think that Dobby's plan is like flawlessly done, but it doesn't work. And I, I don't know what that's a metaphor for, if that is a metaphor for white guilt, that like we think that we have a solution to a problem when really we're just creating another problem. But Dobby puts Harry in mortal danger. Because he's not listening and Harry's not listening to him and Vernon's not listening to Harry. I mean, to me, that's the lesson is that real health care delivery has to begin from a place of listening and not going into it already knowing what you want to happen. I think Dobby's mistake is is walking into that room thinking he knows the answer yep. rather than walking into that room and expressing concern and listening for a solution. Yeah, I think that, again, it's hard to against the literary conventions to remind myself, at least as myself as a reader, how abusive this behavior is and that actually he's in a lot of danger in the situation that Dobby puts him in. You know, again, though, I think that Dobby is this deeply traumatized character. I'm not sure how much sense it makes to project human psychology onto other creatures and Dobby is another creature. However, like we do know about human psychology that people who are deeply traumatized, like that doesn't make them unaccountable for their actions, but it does provide a framework for interpreting their actions. And it might even be a way to think about, you know, the the story you you told, John, that this person, Ruth, is also living under systemic injustice and systemic violence that mean that giving two dollars to someone places her 
at risk. So again, I think we're seeing this relationship between social health and and individual health, right? Like, the, as you were saying, none of these problems get solved on their own. And even if Dobby's response is mistaken and dangerously mistaken, it exists within a set of possibilities for him, which are already conditioned by this trauma and injustice and violence under which he lives. Health, the word health comes from the old English word for wholeness. And I think now we tend to think about health as wellness or like physical flourishing and mental flourishing. But I think retrieving some of this definition of this root word of wholeness might point us back to the social dimensions of health, right? What does it mean to be whole? For Harry to be whole means to be in relationship with Ron and Hermione in the Wizarding World, right? For Dobby to be whole means to get free of the Malfoys, right? Like, wholeness is a relational thing, at least in the way that you and I, Vanessa, have been talking about what it means to be a person on this podcast for the past book and two chapters, or book and one chapter. So wholeness maybe gives us a way to really deliberately remind ourselves of the social dimensions of health. I love that. And I love the idea that healthcare delivery is an attempt to make people whole and to allow people to become their whole selves. Healthcare delivery is as much about humans relating to other humans, is as much about empathy and trying to you know re resolve the places where we where we don't feel whole for each other with each other that is also healthcare and i think we have lost a little bit of touch with that in some of the ways that that healthcare gets delivered in the us yeah i mean there was just an article about how costa rica is one of the healthiest countries in the world right and a lot of it is because they approach healthcare from a social perspective they consider right like investing in parks part of their healthcare delivery, right? Having good trails to walk on, having good water. Matt, you and I are lucky enough to know Lauren Taylor, who wrote about this in the American Healthcare Paradox, right? That the more we invest in communities, the healthier communities are. The other reason that Dobby and Harry are unable to have this empathetic conversation is because of the literal place that they are in, right? They are not in a park with mm -hmm. trees where they can mm -hmm. sit on a bench and have all the time in the world. He's in this boiling pot of a situation of Vernon can overhear and the Masons are downstairs, right? Like there's just such high stakes in the immediate pressure that they can't have a healthy or productive conversation in this situation. Yeah, I think that's such an important point that if we're going to say that listening is essential to healthcare, we have to acknowledge that listening is far easier in some circumstances than others. And this is a circumstance where listening is exceptionally difficult because of the social dimensions, because of the circumstances that they're in, it's literally difficult for them to communicate because they have to be quiet. Yeah. Something I'm really curious about both of your opinions about is the relationship between physical pain and health, right? Like if you have a headache, it's not necessarily that you're unhealthy. If you have a cut, right, it hurts, but it's not that you're unhealthy in some way. And Dobby's constant self-abuse hurts him physically and it obviously hurts him spiritually. I'm not even sure if I want to use the word self-abuse, right? Because it's instigated by a power structure and by the Malfoys. But do we look at Dobby and see him as physically 
unhealthy because he's wrapped in these bandages and he's trapping his ears and oven doors? Or is there a difference between like wounded and unhealthy? You know, I I have experience with self-harm from when I was younger. And for me, it was always an expression of trauma. It was always an expression of ill health in the wholeness sense. And part of what I found so heartbreaking reading this chapter this time was it is a little bit played for laughs. Mm -hmm. And gosh, is it not funny? Yeah. For me, I, I do think that in the sense of health being wholeness, it is a form of poor health. Lacking another way to deal with it, you know, another way to deal with that pain, another way to process that pain. And I think that that also, there's some resilience, like some healthy whole core of Harry, where he isn't getting letters from Ron and Hermione, and he's not, he's like, they must be busy, right? Like, he's just, Mm -hmm. I know that at 11, I would have been spiraling and been thinking, oh, maybe we weren't as close as I thought we were. And maybe I, I I made a fool of myself thinking we were so close. And this kid is just so incredibly whole, even though the world is constantly trying to break him. The Dursleys are trying to break him. Voldemort is trying to break him. Dobby with the best intentions in the world and self-sacrifice and courage is also trying to break him. And there just seems to be something so incredibly whole about Harry. Yeah, he's so resilient. Yeah. I mean, it's very admirable. Yeah. <laughs> it's not not my gift. Nor mine. Just a, a word about pain. I, the relationship between pain and health is obviously really tricky and managing pain is a significant part of healthcare. Another way that people often interpret the meaning of health is like normal bodily responses, right? We just begs the question because then what's normal? And normal is always a constructed category itself, right? But I have a friend who has neuralgia and it's, it causes devastating problems because he doesn't have any feeling in his feet. And so he has infections and injuries all the time because the pain is actually a normal, healthy response to injury to keep himself from getting worse, right? And so Again, that we come back to the problem of in Dobby or even Harry, like the, the purpose of pain is to signal that some care needs to be taken, right? Mm-hmm. The purpose of the pain is to signal to the individual and hopefully to the community that some care needs to be taken. And it's when that pain is unanswered and overtakes the individual that the necessity for social wholeness as part of individual health just comes into really, really clear relief. There's also something about how difficult pain is to share Mm. and to express how pain is so resistant to language. You know, when when we're in great pain, we don't have words for it. We we struggle to express it in in any kind of direct way. And and for me, it's one of the places where empathy really starts to break down, where it is really hard to know someone else's pain. There's a great line in Elaine Scarry's book, The Body in Pain, where she says that to have great pain is to have certainty and to hear that another person has pain is to have doubt. Mm-hmm. And finding the ways to acknowledge the reality of someone else's pain is, to me, like one of the biggest challenges of personhood. I, and I think it's essential to health. It's essential to 
to good communal health to understand that other people's pain is real. And it is also essential to individual health to have our pain acknowledged and cared for by the people we love. I love that point, John. And it just makes me see, right, like number four, Privet Drive as a house in pain, right? And and Vernon might be someone we want to separate out from that. Oh, yeah. But, right, Petunia is is a woman in pain, right? Whatever her feelings are about Lily, they are not whole feelings. They are not pleasant, healed peaceful feelings and having Harry in the house and having this magical thing in the house is painful to her. And, you know, Dudley is under the scrutiny of being a child who is constantly put in competition with Harry, right? Like this is not a whole kid. And whether Vernon is in part the cause of the pain or he seems to be more in anger than in pain, but I don't know if it's really worth diagramming out the differences between those things. Yeah, he's the place where my empathy breaks down a little bit. I just, I I think he could be making different choices pretty easily. He didn't have to tell that joke about the golfer. Yep. I mean, everything that you were saying, John, reminds me of a favorite essay by Simone Weil. Simone Weil is talking about the Grail legend, and she says, you know, when King Arthur has this deep wound in his leg and the land won't be healed until his wound is healed, and none of the knights can find the Grail, And the knight who receives the grail is the one who comes to King Arthur and just says, what are you going through? And is willing to listen. And so I'm trying to think, like, who listens in this chapter? Nobody's listening in this chapter. Like, Dobby is doing his best and not listening. Harry can't listen because Dobby's too loud, (laughs) right? The Dursleys are certainly not listening. The only person I could think of who's listening is a person who doesn't get speaking to. Ron shows up at the end of the chapter. Like, he just knows that Harry's in trouble and shows up at the window. And there's just, like, there's almost this deep listening I don't know if that counts as listening, right? But like this attention, paying attention, just attending to the other in this really deliberate and thoughtful way and in a way that's willing to take risks like like your friend Ruth did and like our friend Ron does in this chapter. Yeah, showing up is such an important form of listening. I also love the idea that Harry can't listen to Dobby because Dobby is being so loud. (laughs) I feel like... I should write that on the inside of my wrist and read it before every time I tweet. It is very hard to listen when people are being very loud. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. One other place that I feel like we have to talk about this is poor Mrs. Mason. First of all, poor Mrs. Mason, like she does not want to be at this dinner where like deals about drills are happening. This sounds like ill health due to patriarchy. If I can make that reach but then right like it's a mess whatever the you know the pudding falls uh whatever but this phobia of hers of birds as somebody who is in a deeply acrimonious relationship with geese i really feel for her right like to have this phobia realized in such a horrifying way this poor woman like I don't know. She should be taken to bed with nothing but smelling salts for like four days. Or the Masons are brilliantly making this up so that they can get the hell out of this house of chaos. So like, ah, she's scared of birds. We got to go. If I put Sarah and myself in the position of being at that dinner, I would 100% fake an aversion to birds. (laughs) I would I would want that. I would want that evening to have come to an end so we could get to the enjoyable part of it, which is the drive home and recounting for each other the full extent of the catastrophe unfolding in every possible direction. I do love the idea that the Masons have these like sets of codes by which they can leave. (laughs) And usually it's not bird, but tonight they're like, it's bird. It's now time for our spiritual practice. And this week we're going to do pardes. Matt, I feel like I keep making you pick a sentence at random. So do you want me to? Yeah. Can you? Yeah. Okay. Almost at once, Harry wished he hadn't spoken. Okay. So step one is pshat, which is the literal meaning of the sentence. And what's happening here is that Harry is empathizing with Dobby. Dobby is saying that a house elf has to be set free and, you know, the family will never set him free. And Harry says, oh, God, I thought it was bad with the Dursleys, but, like, can't anyone help you? Can I help you? And Dobby dissolves into a wail of gratitude is what the text says. So almost at once, Harry wished he hadn't spoken because I think both because it's loud and also because it's, like, awkward to watch someone be so grateful for something vaguely so little. 
So step two is remez, where we are going to pick a word and try to trace it throughout seven books. Think about when else that word pops up through the books. So John, please pick a word from the sentence. Almost at once, Harry wished he hadn't spoken. Wished. Yeah. That was my word too. I think that's the word. So what, I mean, what other wishes are there, right? Harry wishing to be out of the Dursley's house in book one, right? Harry wishing just to be left alone while everyone goes to the zoo, right? He's like constantly wishing to be away from the Dursleys. What other wishes are there? But he's also wishing to be with Ron and Hermione. He's wishing to be back at Hogwarts. Just across the series, I think of in book one, the mirror of Erised, right? Like what's revealed is what you want most, right? Or maybe wish, I can't remember the exact language, but wish seems appropriate, right? And what an important role that plays in the middle of the book as we learn about Harry's relationship to his family. But then at the end of the book, when he has to wish for the Philosopher's Stone in the right way, it can't be wish for its power, but just to have it, right? And then it appears in his pocket. There is a relationship between wishing and wanting, but it's not like quite a one-to-one map. There's a difference between wishing for something and and wanting it. And one thing you see in, in novels and stories all over the world is people getting what they wished for. And it turns out that what they wished for is not actually what they want. The other big wish that I'm seeing is at the center of the series is Harry's wish to not be the chosen one, to not be famous or known, right? To to belong to Hogwarts and be a wizard, but not to yeah. be the like crux of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And so many people do wish to be this special one, do wish to be extraordinary. Uh, and it's always interesting that the people who are are extraordinary and are the special ones tend to wish to be part of a productive and happy and healthy community. And the other wish that I think is at the center of this book is Ginny's wish. Ginny's hmm. wish to be with Harry, but also just wish to be seen, right? Which is what gets her into trouble with this diary. Yeah. It's this desperate desire to have an intimate friendship relationship with anyone yeah 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 isn't a wish something that you feel a little bit hopeless on yeah and are therefore hoping for a sort of divine intervention right like you wish on a star you wish with your birthday candles yeah, some kind of outside something you don't have control over right 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 i think in general right, right? that's the distinction that I've never quite been able to articulate is that when you're wishing for something, you're wishing for something that you can't make happen on some level. Whereas when you want something, you feel like you can at least participate in the process of getting it. Yeah. But like when I wish for an end to the pandemic, I am like wishing on a star or wishing to God or, you know, it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost prayerful somehow wishing. Yeah. Even that line becomes blurry because you think about, again, at the end of the books, Narcissa Malfoy, right? Like wanting to save Draco, like she needs Harry's help, right? She has to seek help from others. She can't control it herself. There is something, I said something you can't control yourself, but I think you're right. It is something more, it can't just be this other person can help me get my wish. 
there is something like outside of even human control, not just not outside of my control, but something outside of human control that that wishing connotes, I think. I mean, maybe the other place that we really see it is in book three, when Harry thinks that his father casts the Patronus. There is this hope, wish that maybe there is a version of his father that's alive mm. and that is intervening, right? And then there's a lot of wishing that people hadn't died, right? Yeah, Harry, that's right. Yeah. After Sirius dies, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's something. All of all of my wishes are extremely straightforward and childlike, um, and I can't. I almost like can't say anything more complicated about them. Like I wish this person hadn't died. I wish they weren't dead. I wish they were still here. And that's it. There's nothing else to the feeling. Yeah. Okay. Well, step three, we we think about what lesson we would want to preach if this was the piece of text that we were given to preach on. Almost at once, Harry wished he hadn't spoken. I think I would preach on the pain of kindness, right? Dobby is in pain with Harry being so kind and generous to him. And I don't understand why, but it can be, right? We reject gifts from one another. We reject compliments. We, We insist on paying people back. Just receiving kindness is so difficult for us. I guess I think I would want to preach on, you know, that it's okay to just purely receive kindness. I I just feel for Dobby, like he's in a tremendous amount of pain because Harry offered to help him. I really enjoyed this conversation, the kind of long conversation we had about the nature of wishing, right? Because also just this idea that like when you wish or when you wish to God or in my tradition, in the Christian tradition, faith is often understood as like certainty or whatever right but uh, i think i may have already mentioned this on the podcast but a favorite philosopher of mine jacques derrida says that you know actually every prayer is actually a proof of doubt like to to pray at all means it's not to make a statement it's not to say this is the way it is it's actually to say this is the way i wish it could be could you do this for me <laughs> right and so like to just to give people permission to feel uncertainty being uncertain and having doubt is a really important part of of being in relationship to yourself into the world. And if you have a God, then with God too. I think I would borrow from a sermon I heard once where the priest was telling a story about a person who is inside of a hole and, and somebody walks up and says, Hey, uh, what do you need? How can I help? Which is basically what, what Harry says. And the, the person says, well, I, you know, I, I need a ladder. And, the other person just jumps in the hole instead of getting a ladder and says, well, now now at least you have company. And it can be really hard to be with people when they are in pain. And I understand why in that moment, Harry says, I, uh, you know, Harry wished he hadn't spoken. But in truth, like, that was the best moment that he had in this whole chapter was when he said, can I help? Hmm. And what he couldn't do was be able to go into that pain with Dobby and to be present in it and to listen and to find out if he could help. 
Instead, for me, at least he comes a little closer to like jumping into the hole, which, Mm. you know, it's probably better to have company, but it'd be even better to have a ladder. And so I think I'd, I think I'd try to work with some of that with how difficult it can be to listen after you say, how can I help? And somebody expresses their profound pain to be present in that instead of immediately trying to solve it is really important, I think. All the time when I was a chaplain and I still struggle with, when I am near people who are suffering, I want to help alleviate it in some way. And very commonly, as Vanessa writes about so beautifully in Praying with Jane Eyre, all you can really do is be present. All they really need is for you to listen. And, you know, trying to solve it, trying to make it better by doing things that just can't help, that isn't necessary. Like, my chaplaincy supervisor always liked to say, don't just do something, stand there. And for me, that's a moment to to stand there and to to bear witness and acknowledge Dobby's terrible pain. I love that. Don't just do something, stand there. That's Isn't amazing. that a great line? So yeah. good. Yeah. Well, step four is sewed, where we see if this conversation has sort of shaken loose a secret from the sentence. Um, any f- sort of final reflections? Almost at once, Harry wished he hadn't spoken. For me, it's definitely sh- shaken up my understanding of wishing mm-hmm. and helped me to see how. Wishing is almost a form of also acknowledging my powerlessness and my precarity. Yeah, I think that something that's just been on my mind a lot lately is to not judge myself by my first reaction to something, but my second reaction, not my first thought, but my second thought. And right, like Harry's first thought is, shoot, I shouldn't have started this. But right, like his his second thought is humbler. Please be quiet if the Dursleys hear anything. If the, right, like it's it's fear and it's concern for Dobby as well. And so I just I think our first thoughts might be our reptilian brains, and what matters is our second thoughts. Matt, anything for you? For me, I think it's related to John's, which is just sort of so much of little phrases that we use or the little language that you use like the language of wishing, hides underneath it just the fact of our vulnerability, the fact of our exposure to one another in the world. And that's not something that we like to dwell upon, like at the forefront of our minds, because that's existentially kind of discomforting, right? But it emerges if we stop and even pay attention with much rigor to even the meaning of like little words like wish, right? But acknowledging it is important politically, ethically, and so forth, because it's only acknowledging that kind of universal precarity that helps us rethink about what it would mean to provide healthcare to all, what it would mean to, to think about health as wholeness and so forth. So I think maybe that's my secret if I, if I have one. Well, thank I you like both. That a lot. Yeah. Thank you both for doing this sacred practice with me. Thank you. It is now time for us to remember the friends and families of our community member lost due to COVID. Dana Scheimer, who was 61, 
and a most adoring and mischievous stepmother. Haley Langmire, 22, a fierce friend, a daughter, and a sister. Paul McCaffrey, 49, a beloved father. Florence Dolan, who is 94, a grandmother, teacher, and listener. And Patricia Nelson, who is 62, a matriarch, an entrepreneur, and a lover of life. May their memories be a blessing. This week's voicemail is from Donovan. Hey there, Vanessa, Matt, Sacred Text team and community. My name is Donovan. I grew up deeply invested in both religion and Harry Potter. Both were sources of comfort and community for me as a child. They also both became sources of pain and rejection in my adulthood as a trans person. I've spent years deconstructing and reconstructing my relationship to faith, and I found myself facing these very same painful questions when J.K. Rowling became vocal about her transphobia. I stumbled upon this podcast at the start of the second read-through, and it's become a huge source of healing for me. As we go through the series, I find myself surprised at how much I want to extend blessings to Harry. I think I always forget what a resilient boy he is, and right now I'm just struck by how much he goes through and how that never seems to quell his desire to make things better. When he enters the wizarding world, it's a beautiful escape into a place that claims to accept him as he is, but we know as the series progresses, he becomes more disillusioned with the flaws in magical society. He even has to face questions regarding those he originally saw as heroes and mentors. Speaking from experience, this is so painful. To discover that a community that once welcomed you stands against everything you believe in and are. When Harry learns about his own father's bullying, the exploitation of non-wizards, Dumbledore's history of magical supremacy, he has to investigate his own beliefs and choose to take actions that reflect his own values, and in some cases, redefine his own identity. It's an emotionally wrought process for him, but I honestly think it makes him stronger and more empathetic as a person as he fights for a future that's more like the exciting and inclusive world he saw as an 11-year-old. So I want to bless Harry in his journey of healing. I hope that he has compassion for himself regarding the trauma he's experienced. I hope he continues to orient himself towards truth, love, and justice. And I hope he finds peace. So this is a blessing for Harry's journey to healing and a blessing for healing for us all. Wow, Donovan, thank you so much for that beautiful voicemail. And it is uncanny how apt it is for the conversation that we ended up having today. That was such a lovely voicemail. And it evinced the very sort of generosity of spirit and willingness to grapple with complexity and nuance that I think has to be the way forward for us. And it is so disappointing when people who created stuff that that, that we admire and love and and find useful in our lives when they don't seem to understand the theme of their own work. And I'm really sorry, Donovan, that you've had to go through that in such a personal way. Yeah, Donovan, and I I, I just want to concur with John and in offering your blessing, I think it absolutely 
perfectly describes all the things that we admire most about Harry. I think I just also want to say what's really clear from your message is that the virtues that you admired Harry are also clearly present in yourself. And so, so thanks for sharing yourself with us as well and for calling our attention to, to Harry and his, his courage and resilience. Absolutely. Well, we're now going to offer blessings of our own. John, do you want to offer a blessing to a character in this chapter? To nobody's surprise, I'm going to offer a blessing to Aunt Petunia. <laughs> Poor Aunt Petunia. Now, I I choose to believe that she worked very hard on that on that pudding, mm-hmm. and that it was some it was some small way in which she could be creative in a life that has like consistently denied her access to creative expression. And that those flowers that she made, which I choose to believe she made, she didn't buy, were wonderful and beautiful. And that it was genuinely upsetting to see it unenjoyed and and to see it transformed in in such a hurtful way. So without totally being able to forgive her, I do want to offer her a blessing, I guess, in the hope that uh, she will someday find a way uh, to express her true self and, and to live as her true self. I love that. As somebody who sometimes messes up desserts all on my own, I feel for you, Petunia. <laughs> I don't even need Dobby. Yeah, I don't. I don't even need magic to uh, yeah. to re- to really overcook a cake. Yep. Matt, what about you? Who would you like to bless? I would like to bless Harry this week. It was my plan before I heard Donovan's voice memo, and Donovan said it better than I could. So I'm going to leave it at that. Harry, blessings to Harry. Yeah. I want to bless Mrs. Mason. I want to bless all of the women who have had to sit silently as men talk about boring things. I feel like, I don't know, if all of that frustration and anger could be bottled up, we could solve the energy crisis of all of those hours. (laughs) I just feel Mrs. Mason simmering downstairs as she is you know, this kiss up kid is saying all these things he doesn't mean and she's having to deal with this. So I just want to offer a blessing for her in her, what I imagine to be great frustration. John, I also just thought this could be a moment, you know, we obviously want to bless Ruth, but could you just tell everybody if they want to get involved in the work that you are participating in in Sierra Leone, where can they learn more about that? Yeah, so we support Partners in Health in their efforts to radically reduce maternal and child mortality in Sierra Leone. Ruth is a Partners in Health employee, one of over a thousand in Sierra Leone who are working to strengthen the healthcare system there, and and they are doing extraordinary work to really reshape healthcare access in Sierra Leone. And so I'm mostly I'm just I want to express my deep gratitude to our friends and colleagues there who are actually doing the work. If you if you were interested in learning more or want to uh, join us in, in supporting that work, you can go to pih.org slash Hank and John. That's my brother Hank and John, all one word. But also, I, I, I think being involved in trying to improve healthcare access is a global challenge. There is no 
community on earth where healthcare access is what it should be, where it's truly equal, where it's truly available, equally available to all people. And certainly here in the United States, we have a very long way to go before we can say that we have anything approaching universal healthcare. And so I think there's work to do in many communities. John, this was so fun. Next week, we're doing Chapter 3, The Burrow, and we are allowing our amazing guest, Jolie Doggett, to pick the theme, and she picked the theme of friendship. So that is what we will be reading The Burrow through. Just a few reminders before we give our thanks today. We have a virtual live event on October 7th. We hope you all join. You can go to notsorryworks.com slash events in order to buy your ticket. And we are releasing a new pin on Patreon soon. Cho Chang, the patron saint of Criers. And our Dobby pin is moving to our merch store. So check out our Patreon and our merch store to get those two amazing pins. We are a Not Sorry production, a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong, and our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. We'd like to thank Donovan for this week's voicemail, Laura Glass, Emma Smith, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Kyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones. Thanks, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. Do we need to, do our readers know John Green? Do we need to like be like John Green is the author of they know him? <laughs> I think John's it's good. been on a bunch. I don't need. Yeah, uh, I know. So you, you think we're good? I'm not, John yeah. needs no introduction. Uh, well, I mostly okay. I, I, I'll author inter- of Anthropocene reviewed. You we want can, me to do, I'll do yeah, that. I don't know. I, I feel like there might be new people who are like, who the f- is that? Yeah. <laughs> so we are lucky. <laughs> Sorry. I hope that no one listening to our podcast is that rude, is mostly how I feel. (laughs) This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app, and when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. 
Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.